Good afternoon, America. Welcome to the third and final hour of the show. Uh, Leslie Marshall will be back tomorrow. Uh, you still got me for another hour, though, and I want to move across to the other side of the world where something very, very scary just happened. A man by the name of Boris Nemtsov was gunned down in the street this weekend, walking with his girlfriend. Why does that scare me over here in Washington, D.C.? Well, Boris Nemtsov was once the vice premier of Russia under Boris Yeltsin. Boris Yeltsin, you remember, was the first and really only democratically elected leader in Russian history, apart from a few months uh, around 1917 between the fall of the Tsar and the, the Bolshevik Revolution. Boris Yeltsin, of course, was democratically elected and stood ready to transform the then USSR to become a free and democratic Russia. Of course, uh, one of the things that happened under Yeltsin uh, when he took over from Gorbachev, he was president of Russia, and in order to get the freedoms of uh, of being a separate state, it dissolved. he dissolved the USSR. So what was the USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics? It obviously was a dictatorship controlled by Lenin, then Stalin, then a few others, Khrushchev and, Khrushchev and Brezhnev being the most famous, and then, of course, Gorbachev, a few others in the middle there. But it was ostensibly... Although in reality it was a unitary dictatorship, it was ostensibly a union of various republics that joined together to be uh, the socialist republics. Much like the United States of America began when a bunch of independent states, colonies, uh, from Georgia in the south to New Hampshire in the north and all the colonies in between, Virginia, New York, Pennsylvania and the like, joined together as separate independent states to become the United States of America. State, by the way, we, we think of it like um, the United States. We think of it sort of a subsidiary, a, su- subsidiary uh, a smaller group than the federal government. But states are really what people think of as separate nation states around the globe. France is a state. The United Kingdom is a state. The Netherlands is a state. Japan. Anyway, the idea was these were separate socialist republics. Republic meaning democratically elected. Of course, they weren't, but that was the idea. And they joined together, and that included Russia, it included Ukraine, it included Belarus, and a bunch of others, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Armenia, and uh, Azerbaijan, and Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, once independent states, invaded by the Soviet Union in World War II, and then just kept by them, and uh, a few other states. Georgia, others come to mind. The point is that Uh, When Yeltsin came to power, he separated the Union into the various independent states and made them independent states in reality. Russia, which is by far the largest and way larger, three or four or five times larger than all the others put together, uh, became a separate nation, as did Ukraine and, and all the others, which I spoke. The point is that Yeltsin believed in democracy. He was an imperfect leader, to be sure. Uh, He had a drinking problem and probably died of it. And uh, under him, his vice premier, the guy that was supposed to take power, if anything happened to Boris Yeltsin, was another Boris, Boris Nemtsov, the man who was just gunned down this weekend. And let me be very clear about who I think ordered the gunning down of Boris Nemtsov. I am absolutely convinced it was Vladimir Putin. 
And uh, if Vladimir Putin considers that libelous, then I suggest that he sue me for libel and we can have a wonderful trial because you're always allowed to present truth as a defense. And I suspect that the evidence will show, even though we don't have it all out yet, that Boris Yeltsin ordered this hit on Boris Nemtsov. So Boris Nemtsov was the vice premier under, uh, under Yeltsin. And barring strange fates in history... Uh, he should have taken over. And had he taken over, I'm quite confident Russia would be a free and democratic nation today. He was passed over. Putin took power. He was first elected. And then, of course, he now uh, makes sure that that, uh, all opposing forces, all opposing voices, all of them get censored and stopped. Personally, I I went on, on Russia TV until I said the truth, which was that Vladimir Putin could not be challenged on his own network, I was shouted down and <laughs> not invited back. Although it's interesting to watch on YouTube. You can still find it there. The point is, is that Russia is rapidly becoming the dictatorship of old and is rapidly transforming back to the USSR. And you see that not only in Putin's invasion of Georgia, but in his invasion of Ukraine, sending Russian regulars and Russian troops across the border to invade a sovereign nation next door. These are very dark times, and not just for the countries around Russia. It's darkest for Russia itself, because there was a time when Russia looked like it might live in freedom. But Nemtsov had support in Moscow, not so much out in the regions. We found this, by the way, also when the people rose up in Tiananmen Square in China, that the people of the capital tend to be better informed, they tend to be more likely to oppose the government. They know what the government's up to. They know about the corruption of the government. And the people way out in the provinces, and of course, Russia being the largest country on earth, Siberia being 12 time zones or so away from Moscow, maybe it's 10 time zones, but it's far, far away. And it was very, very hard to convey, particularly when you have, you don't have a free press and you have Boris, uh, excuse me, Vladimir Putin cracking down on a free press that you don't have the freedom to oppose the government. I'm very concerned, and I think anyone, any Russian should be very concerned, as Russia descends away from freedom back to the USSR. And I, I, they had a very dark protest uh, just today, in fact, or yesterday, I guess, uh, in, um, in, in, the, in the time zone. But basically, it was, in a, it was a dreary day, and the very brave tens of thousands of people who went out to march in Moscow, I wonder if that'll be the last free march ever in Russia. And I'm very nervous about Russia's future. What do you think? 888-653-7543. Let's go to another Boris. Boris in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm Great good. Um, so that, that was, I, I think everything you said, I agree with 100%. I just wanted to add kind of a couple of points. Like, I... Unfortunately, didn't know Nemtsov personally. I did work for people who did, um, and worked with him very closely. And I think it's just, and, and this gets lost obviously in a lot of the Western media who just kind of describe him as, you know, a leader of the opposition and a Putin critic, but just how people said, like, what an amazing, just decent human being. Uh, he, he actually was just not only to work with, but the fact that how he staunchly stood by his democratic principles and maintained them when he could have sold out many, many times over the years, as 
you know, deputy prime minister, as you mentioned, even when he worked with Putin after he was elected, after going into the opposition, several members of the Russian opposition sold out, effectively. They uh, got governorships, they reconciled with the regime, Chubais being kind of a famous one of these, um, even Nikita Bilich, who was also a very famous opposition figure, and Yumsov was really unique in that he just fundamentally refused to reconcile with this really disgraceful authoritarian gang. Boris, let me ask you um, this. And, you, you, and you seem... kind of staunchly fought on. And, you... and, the, and the other point before, yeah. because time is limited, but I just wanted to kind of emphasize that other point yeah. um, beyond his opposition activities. One of the things that I personally really, really liked about what he was doing was the fact that he stood up to Putin's uh, whitewash of Soviet history, which is now unfortunately pervading uh, Russian historical curricula, sort of the uh, emphasis of the fact that, you know, basically trying to whitewash Stalinist history, bring back some of that jingoistic ultranationalism that's pervading in the state media. And Nimtsov was really one of the few people who unequivocally stood up, against, you know, stood up against that and resisted it, and called it out for being, you know, ridiculous slander, and just an insult to the memory of the millions of people who perished under that regime. He actually was one of the first people who opposed the reinstatement of the Soviet anthem, which is the current Russian anthem with different lyrics. So, I mean, this was somebody Boris, who, from day one, let me ask you this you know, really because principle, you, you, you really seem extraordinary. You seem clearly very well informed, and I very much appreciate your calling in. I, I take it you are Russian. Yes. Okay. Um, maybe you can help explain to me, and and I, while I agree with you, I admit fully that you're more well-informed than I am. Why didn't Nemtsov take over as Yeltsin's health declined? It just seems like, you know, I, such a moment in history was lost for Russia. What happened? How did Putin take over? Well, basically, there were two reasons. One was he, uh, he actually coined the term oligarch in the 1990s. The term oligarch that everybody's now sort of using actually came from him. He was one of its co-authors when he was deputy prime minister. And one of the biggest issues was that a core group of people around Yeltsin, led by his daughter Tatiana and Berezovsky, who died a few years ago, uh, basically were concerned They're corrupt. with... Basically, yeah. they're, they're stealing all of Russia's assets, and he called them on it. Yeah. That, that's well, the heart of what you're saying. I mean, I mean, this is actually when things really began to collapse, and this is actually a very quick point. The first is Berezovsky wanted to take over Gazprom in the late 90s. He actually made a power play to take Gazprom, over Gazprom. but for those that don't know, is the Russian yeah. uh, oil uh, gas, gas company, right. which is extremely powerful given that Russia relies heavily on oil for its wealth. So this is this is the, the jewel in Russia's economic crown. But go on. He, he tried right. to take it. Go ahead. He tried to take it, and Nemtsov at the time was Minister of Energy and Infrastructure, and he basically came to him and said, hey, pal, we made an agreement, we being Berezovsky and the other gang of crooks, basically, who was influencing Yeltsin at the time, I'm going to take it over. I want it. It's already been agreed. Hand it over. And Yimtsov basically told him, get lost. He said, you know. So let me um, ask you this. Clearly, the, the corruption, uh, I mean, we all know the power of the oligarchs in Russia, these corrupt bosses, in effect, that took over from the state-owned companies and, and now are multi-billionaires and, and control it themselves. Is there any kind of... 
of democratic polity in Russia. Clearly in Moscow there is. There are students, there are people who march. But it, it's always interesting to me that the, the masses out there in Siberia or in or way out in the hinterland seem to be supporting Putin. I, I don't know whether maybe those polls are, are all uh, uh, jiggered by, by Putin to some extent, but it, it seems that, that there's a, a, a number of Russians, and, and you are Russian, uh, who appear to prefer a strong dictator, whether it be Putin or Stalin or Khrushchev or Brezhnev or anyone else, over the the the, the ins and outs of, of democratic leadership. Is is that unfair? Um, I mean, I think there it, it's somewhat true. I think it's it's a bit more complicated in the sense that you know any profound political change that comes as a shock really destabilizes society, and people crave stability before anything else. And I think that for a long period of time, Putin and his, you know, and the, and, and the, the status quo kind of seemed to provide some degree of stability. Obviously, nothing to do with Putin, just mostly driven by the oil price. But to, to many people, there was this sort of sense of, you know, the 1990s were very chaotic, and you know, we have some kind of stability. And you have to understand, obviously, Russia has never really had a developed civil society democratically. I mean, it really had no experiment in it. It takes a long time. It took hundreds of years for the West to develop its institutions. Same thing with Russia. So, but Bars, I, we, we, we have to take a break. You're a fantastic caller. I'd love for you to hang on into the next segment. Will you hold on with me? Sure. Appreciate it. Toll-free number is 888-653-7543. This is Mark Levine. Boris just called in, but I, I can already tell his knowledge is, is incredible, and I really appreciate his call. We're going to hear more from him and from you when we come back right after this. Now, when the Beatles sang that song, it was meant ironically. I hope everyone understands. Uh, it is very scary to be back in the USSR. Uh, the Soviet Union was a particularly scary place. And I fear that Vladimir Putin, by murdering his political opponent, Boris Nemtsov, it, he's not the only one, by the way. There, there's a history of opponents of Yeltsin, excuse me, I shouldn't say Yeltsin, opponents of Putin uh, being uh, mysteriously dying, including someone who got uh, radiation poisoning. Uh, this appears to be Putin taking over and descending back to the days of the USSR. Uh, my caller, Boris, I should call him my guest because he's so well informed. Uh, he's Russian and, and, and he, he, he knows a lot about this and frankly more than I do. Um, Boris, do you think that Russia is going back to the USSR? I mean, that that kind of of political repression of opposition and so forth? Um, I mean, not economically, certainly. I think the sort of um, entrenched, you could say, kind of gangster capitalist model of Putin and his inner circle, you know, to continue essentially leeching off the, effectively creating an economic model where they just repeat the theft of state assets wholesale while completely ignoring the interests of the citizenry, that's certainly going to continue. I mean, if that's your goal for running your society, absolutely the case. And certainly, you know, in the kind of opposition independent media in Russia since this assassination happened, the opinion is unanimous that this is Putin crossing a red line, point of no return, and this is essentially the the reaction of a, of a regime which, because of the collapse in oil prices, because of the sanctions which are actually taking a toll on Putin's inner circle, the regime is cornered and has decided to take 
much more direct action that before they could sort of ignore the opposition because what you were talking about in the last segment, you know, outside of the major cities, it doesn't really have so much support and it could just rely on its sort of incessant 24-7 PR campaign about how these people are, you know, marginalized. It's fascinating to actually see this and that be for the last, until this year, really, uh, with the kind of the war in Ukraine and the, the oil shock. The regime essentially took the approach of ignoring people like himself, like they're irrelevant. I mean, we, we saw this even after he was killed. But Well, not but completely. They, I mean, they, they certainly arrested a bunch of young girls uh, in, in Pussy Riot who were, uh, you know, if anything, just, um, uh, you know, 20-year-old girls, um, you know, doing some... Exactly. They, they were They were opposing Putin, but, uh, I mean, why would anyone even take them seriously, given their name? He, he had to arrest them. So clearly Putin feels threatened. I don't know whether that's just his paranoia or whether there really is rising up against Putin a, a, an opposition force in Russia. Well, I don't, I mean, I'm, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't say if there's really a unified opposition force at this point, and many in the Russian opposition, unfortunately, don't feel that there is. Many of them dislike each other. One of the things about himself was he was a bridge between many different factions in the opposition who otherwise wouldn't, you know, be together in the same room. But I think what we saw with the Ukraine conflict in particular, and the problem with the oil price now, with the budget collapsing, the ruble uh, falling apart, the currency crisis, is that you, you've now had these paramilitary groups. Hold, hold with that thought, Boris. I'm sorry. I, I've got to take yet another break. But you're terrific, and I'd love for you to hang on a little bit longer with me, if you would. 888-653-7543. We'll be right back. Uh, this is the best description I've heard of what's going on in Russia by anyone in a long time. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. This is Mark Levine. When I heard about the assassination of a former deputy prime minister of Russia, Boris Nemtsov, I got very, very concerned. I've been concerned for some time about Russia and its future, uh, frankly, ever since Putin took over from Boris Yeltsin. But it just seems like every day, every week, every month, we, we see... Russia getting worse and worse. I, my caller, Boris, is from Russia and has had some really good insight. Uh, I've kept him on longer than I have most callers because, Boris, you really seem to be hitting the mark here. Tell, tell me what you were saying. I had to interrupt you because we, we had a commercial break. But Oh, no, I think I was sort of just wrapping up on the um, – you were asking about, you know, is, is, is this a sign that the regime is afraid? You know, is this sort of new for them? Is this a new kind of red line that they've crossed? And, and I think that basically over the last year, they've, the regime has sort of sanctioned these unofficial paramilitary groups of, you know, anti-Maidan, as they call themselves. That's like, very scary. Well, it reminds me of the SS, frankly. Yeah, I mean, uh, before they used to be called, you know, and the, the Russian opposition called them the Nazi basically, like you know, <laughs> sort of like the fascists, you know, right? Like, and uh, and uh, they, they, I mean, they actually held a protest a couple of weeks ago in 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 Moscow, or was it a month ago, where they essentially had banners that said, "We're going to cleanse Russia of the fifth column." I mean, this is actually happening. Government Putin, Putin has a tremendous amount of fascist rhetoric. Uh, a lot of it, there's, there's a lot of anti-Jewish stuff, a lot of anti-gay stuff, a lot of nationalist stuff. It, it seems that uh, that that you know, in, in attacking liberals, it, it just it just seems to me very similar when you read about the rise of the Nazis. Do you agree? Absolutely. Um, but again, this is you know more a sign to some extent of fear and desperation. If you're not afraid, you don't need to stoke this 
ultra-nationalist, jingoistic, hateful propaganda campaign. That's more a sign of weakness than a sign of strength. Well, but let's talk about his weakness, because I I wonder. We we did implement the sanctions after, uh, you know, Russia was caught red-handed in Ukraine. Uh, and, of course, oil prices are falling, which, which hurts Russia's primary export. It's largely a, a, an oil-based economy. But it does seem to me that Putin is ever so more entrenched in power. Does he really have something to fear? Um, I mean, I think if the situation continues as it is, things are much more complicated for him than they were. On the surface, his popularity has soared because of the annexation of Crimea. But again, that's because of, you know, uh, territorial aggrandizement can't replace food on the table, can't replace stable prices, can't replace salaries and pensions being paid. Are Russians starving? Is there there food? Is it going back to the communist era when it was very hard to find food on the shelves? Well, no, I mean, now it's, it's not there yet, but prices are going up across the board. Um, and, you know, people's livelihoods are definitely being impacted. So the answer of the regime is to, you know, blame the West, external and internal. That's sure. Blame the we West. See not only in Russia, but around the world. But here's the thing. When people are facing an external threat, I think, of course, of, of Hitler's invasion of Russia, 1941-1942, uh, the, the, the Russian and, frankly, Ukrainian people uh, encountered tremendous privation, mass murder, uh, starvation, disease, and yet they fought hard for their country. Uh, and, and you know, you can't blame them, even though their leader was Stalin, who was a, a vicious murderer as well. Uh, they, people were defending themselves. I wonder how many Russians feel like, well, Putin may be a, a dictator, but he's our dictator and he's fighting the West and, and their nationalism is trumping their their economic needs. Uh, and they just don't believe the West. I mean, unfortunately, that there's definitely a large part of that. Uh, I've written a lot about this, and that's a huge problem with the Russian opposition is sort of their credibility issue. It's so easy to pin them as America sort of a dirty word in Russia, unfortunately. Even some friends of, of, of my family who you would, you know, they're kind of what you would call Upper West Side type of people. You know, these are educated intelligentsia members of the middle class, and some of the stuff that I've heard them say about, you know, 9-11 and the U.S. and the Middle East is, you know, the kind of stuff you'd hear, you know, on, on RT. And yeah. by the way, uh, I, I appreciate you calling the show. I, I don't think you've ever called in before, but when you get a chance, Boris, when we're off the air, uh, check out YouTube. Mark Levine, Putin, Ukraine should probably find it for you, and you'll find my last appearance on RT. And I'm quite confident it is my last because I don't think they're going to invite me back. <laughs> where I, I don't think that's a big loss, Mark. <laughs> no, it isn't. But um, basically I said that they would not allow me to say uh, that, that Putin invaded Ukraine on Russian TV. They would censor me, and I said so as they were censoring me, uh, which made the host. Uh, uh, Peter Lavelle, very upset. Uh, but, uh, but, but indeed, please check that out. Let me ask you another question, though, because you do seem very well informed. How much of Putin's power is unique to Putin? How much of this is a one-man dictatorship that if Putin were to uh, get sick and die, that Russia would have another chance at freedom? Or is this really just a, a like, like communism, uh, you know, the power of the oligarchs, the corruption, so powerful that democracy almost doesn't stand a chance, even if Putin were to leave the scene? Uh, I think it's more the second. I don't think democracy won't stand a chance. I don't believe that. And I think the 1990s showed that that was not inevitable. But I think that, unfortunately, kind of corruption, bribery, etc., is so endemic, and not just around Putin, just in everyday Russian life, just to conduct business in the country effectively. I mean, this is just the way you have to operate. So there's a certain culture that has to be overcome. And, you know, again, like I said, 
I think during the last segment, that, you know, if you have a society that really has no history of democratic governance, no real civil society, just doesn't really know how to operate like this, even though Russia is a European country, in my opinion, and Nimsov certainly thought so, and many Russian Democrats think so, and I think so. But uh, there is definitely a segment which, you know, is still suspicious of, of the West, suspicious of Europe, suspicious of the U.S., sees Russia as the sort of unique other entity with its own course, uh, and that's certainly going to be difficult to overcome. I'm optimistic. I hope that it can. I think it's essential that it does. I think that Russia should be a European Western country, a democratic country, a normal country. Well, I, I think, think so, too. I just, I, 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 don't, I don't see an easy, so, and I know you don't either, see an easy path to get there, but I, I'm an eternal optimist myself. Some commentators are saying that one of the main reasons why Russia had to annex Crimea and had to invade eastern Ukraine is because Ukrainians, uh, with maybe the sole exception of, of Belarus, but uh, are, are, after Belarus, you, you, Ukrainians are the closest to Russia of any country on earth. They, uh, you know, many of them speak Russian. It's a dual language. There's many, uh, and, and therefore, if Ukraine were to join the West, become a free democratic country with a strong economy and free speech and basically do what Poland and Hungary and, and, and uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Bulgaria, and Romania have done, which is largely transform themselves into just prosperous Western uh, democracies, that if Ukraine were to do that, that's so close to Russia that actually it would threaten Threaten Russia because Russians would say if Ukraine can do this, we can do this as well. What's your view? Uh, I think so. So, and actually, since we're talking about Nemtsov, that was really his view in a nutshell. I mean, he was actively involved in the Orange Revolution, the first kind of Ukrainian democratic revolution in 2004, and then the one that happened last year. So he was one of the few people who was there from day one, and he knew a lot of the people in the Ukrainian government now and who were part of that revolution, and he had exactly that view. He kept he appeared on Ukrainian TV all the time and said this repeatedly, that, you know, if Ukraine can do it, this is going to be a huge example for Russia. And that's why Russia had to prevent Ukraine from doing it. Um, yeah, that and I... I mean, unfortunately for the Crimea, no one's going to go there now. It's gone from being, you know, a top tourist destination to being a kind of black sinkhole for massive Kremlin subsidies in a closed, you know, closed zone that's uh, now sort of in this no man's land. So let me ask you this, Boris, as, <laughs> as as an eternal optimist as I am, and I, I I am too. I I don't know whether it's based on fact or based on just my wish that every country be free and democratic. And I really I have those hopes for every country on earth, uh, but that is both our joint hopes for Russia. How do we, and I don't even know I should say we, because we often imply as Americans, and, and I don't really know that it'll come from America, but how does one get from here to there? Where do you see a path through this dark and winding tunnel to democracy for Russia? What should the West do or not do? You know, I, I wonder whether uh, helping Ukraine actually helps Russia see an alternative, or maybe it just makes Russians back get up and, and they say, aha, the West is behind this, and therefore we don't want it. What, what can anyone do in Russia, outside of Russia, West, to move the ball along to help create that Russian free democracy you and I would like to see? Well, I mean, that would take like 15 seconds. All right, fair enough. Give, 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 me, give me the highlights, uh, three or four, uh, and I'll take a break. Yeah, and the 30-second highlights. I mean, certainly, you know, we have to keep – I'm going to – I think we have to keep McCain on a leash. Okay. Uh, uh, I think that that kind of rhetoric, you know, the cold, doesn't help. He's not helping. That kind of kind of the the, the Cold War hawks are not helping in, okay. in this uh, move. Um, and I think that 
the Kremlin uses people like that to their advantage. So maybe if we separate Russia from Putin and the Russian people from the corrupt dictatorial regime and reach out to Russia while at the same time attacking Putin, we can help make that separation. I think that's, you know, we'd love to do that. Sadly, you know, that's much easier said than done. I don't know who's going to be sufficiently, what kind of a credible campaign we, the United States, just using us in particular, can launch right now to achieve this because the U.S., as I said, is such a dirty word right now. Can anything happen within Russia? Is anything happening within Russia? Nemtsov's been murdered. It seems like anyone that speaks out will also be murdered. It just, just doesn't, it's, it, it's, I hate to say the word hopeless, but it sure sounds like it's becoming that way. What, well, what can I mean, be done? Nemtsov said a couple of months ago that after the war in Ukraine, um, the Russian opposition movement is no longer an opposition movement. It's a collection of dissidents. So it's kind of gone from, you know, being, uh, you know, having hurricanes to being a, from being a hurricane to being a re- very weak tropical storm. So I think what you're saying is right. I think, and again, I've been monitoring the Russian media now for like 72 hours straight as to what all the opposition is saying. And they're yeah, really- Putin is claiming that uh, Nemtsov had himself killed, <laughs> or the opposition killed yeah, him, so they could blame Putin. Lover, it kind of reminds me of the uh, of the Nazis who who claimed that the Poles began World War II by yeah, uh, invading I mean, Germany. It's it you know again by 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 the fact that that was the immediate thing that was put out tells you everything pretty much you need to know about what who's really behind this. I mean, right. this is all just pretty, pretty crazy. So in 30 um, seconds, can you give me anything that's hopeful? In 30 seconds? Uh, <laughs> Is there any, I mean, I mean, you and I have the same goal. I admit it's an impossible question, but hey, you called in. It, it, yeah. What what possible grounds for hope do we have, or do we just have to wait a generation? I, again, I'll, since we're on talking about this great man, I'll just defer to what he said, which okay. is, you know, he was completely in favor of the targeted sanctions, the targeted sanctions, which are having an effect. He Targeted against the high-powerful leaders yeah, of the, the oligarchy. Inner circle. And right. his view was, you know, there will have to be a complete destruction of the social contract in Russia. The oil prices are going to have to, you know, if they keep being low, there will, out of just economic necessity, will have to be changes, and then the regime will have to start Unwinding. Even that's what happened with the Soviet regime. Try as they would have wanted, they just had to go through. Oh, absolutely! It was it was the economic collapse, the implosion. You know, we didn't defeat the Soviet Union so much as it imploded, and that led to, as you point out, the one decade of freedom they had in the 1990s. Boris, you are a terrific caller. I I, I was actually looking for a guest on this topic. I didn't need one. You called in. You were my guest. Thank you very much for sharing your views with me. Very well informed. Thank you so much. Uh, We do have other callers. I've been holding on y'all because uh, Boris was so great. We will get to you now. Welcome back to the show. We've got a few minutes left. If you want to call in, 888-653-7543. I'm very concerned about what's going on in Russia. I don't think it's gotten near enough news. You know, when uh, the dictator just starts killing off his political opponents, Russia was, for a brief period of time, very close to a democracy in the 1990s. And now I fear it is, as the Beatles said, back back in the USSR, back to the USSR. I think we're going backwards and I don't know what we can do about it except look on with dismay and disgust. If you want to call in, 888-653-7543. Old Faithful Michael from the Bronx is on line five. Hey, Michael, how are you? Hey, Mark. You know, I, am, I too am very disturbed about this, but it's so reminiscent to one particular person I have in mind that was 
New York City mayor, and that is Rudy Giuliani. The <laughs> reason, reason being is that the things that you and your previous caller have described, it was somewhat identical, or perhaps so identical, with what we went through here in New York while Rudy was mayor. Well, now, now wait thing, a minute. You, 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 Michael, you're going to force wait, me... You're going to force me against my will to defend Rudy Giuliani, and I don't want to do that. I don't like Rudy Giuliani. I think the thing he said about Obama not liking his country is disgusting. I really, really don't want to defend Rudy Giuliani, but I don't know that I can compare him to Vladimir Putin as awful as I, as, as I dislike Giuliani. I mean, but, there, there is a difference between a, a really crass policymaker who did some awful things with New York policing and a dictator who's murdering his political opponents. I mean, there, there's, there's a level there, right? It ain't just political opponents, it's critics. And, and right, I, I but I don't think Giuliani's murdering his critics. I, I, again, please don't make me defend Giuliani, because I don't want to. But he's not murdering his critics. You don't have to. You don't have to, because all in all, and, and let, me, let me just lay it out okay. like this. All right? Granted, no one specific... Right, was murdered here in New York, but collectively, there were a bunch of people of color. Well, Giuliani's police policies. No, no, Giuliani's police policies were were definitely led to the murder of innocent people. That's true. Yeah, and exactly. And then he always defended it. He always fostered it. He always justified it. And not once would he listen to anybody of concern that were um, be that were. Concerned about innocent people getting killed, like we don't have a voice, and this unconstitutional stuff that he was opposing upon us. If we were subjected to false arrest, we were subjected to bad abuse, and there was always the constant pattern of unarmed people of color getting shot down, and always the godforsaken excuse we thought he had a gun. I mean, it was a systemic pattern going on here. It could have been Ramali Graham or who was the person that was um, shot, Amadou Diallo or John Doe. Or Eric, or Eric Garner, who, who was choked. It, of course, it's not just Giuliani. No, no, Amadou Diallo was... Oh, right, he was, was, he was, no, he was sodomized. Time. By the way, I, it's, it's, uh, it's, unfortunately, it's, it, it's not just Giuliani. Uh, recently, the Los Angeles police uh, just fired and killed a homeless man on Skid yep. Row. Uh, who who called himself Africa? Uh, there's there's in Ferguson we've got the Justice Department who is uh, uh, pointing out all the ways that Ferguson had a very racist policing, uh, and uh, so you know I look I, I I I'm not defending Giuliani to say that this thing is pervasive it's countrywide you know the president just put out a a, a um, the civil rights uh, task force pointing out that this stuff is all over the country again that doesn't in any way I. I mean, I do think Bill de Blasio – let me ask you this. Do you think yeah. Bill de Blasio is dedicated to changing uh, Giuliani's legacy? Because I think he is. I think he's, he's worked – Absolutely. But I, I know there are many people that are listening that may not be that very familiar with Rudy Giuliani. Because remember, I'm, I've lived in New York City, and I even had to worry about seeing my own wedding day because of what the hell was going on here. But let me say this, that Giuliani he's, he has even been on record – threatening people that if they ask him about this or that, not only was he a cold-hearted SOB, but that he would threaten the people that questioned him with arrest and charge him with disorderly conduct. And then one time he reportedly said, and I would not hold any responsibility for what um, police may do while you are in their custody. All right. 
All right. Well, thanks for calling in, Michael. Anytime we want to uh, hear what's going on in New York City, I, 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 my, our, our old faithful correspondent on the ground on the ground in the Bronx is definitely uh, talking to us about. It. Look, uh, we've done shows on it. We will continue to do shows on on brutal policing in the United States. Uh, that is an ongoing issue. One of the reasons I'm focusing on what's going on abroad, though, is to me, and this is why I really, really liked Boris. Boris, who called in, is I do believe firmly that every person on earth should have the right to live free in a democratic country where they are free to speak out against their leaders, where they can democratically elect their leaders, where men and women both have equal rights and the right to vote, where gay people are treated freely, where people can freely practice their religion. I I admit it. I mean, I love these aspects of our country. And as much as I will attack things in the United States that go wrong, uh, as much as I'm someone who will point out when we have policing that's wrong and other things, uh, we have to remember the things that we have here. We do not have a house of cards notwithstanding. We do not have a president murdering his political opponents in the streets. We have a Republican Party that is being obnoxious with regard to President Obama, to be sure, and trying to make him fail, to be sure, but they're not trying to execute him. So sometimes by looking abroad, we can remember the things that are still working at home. And I think by reaching out to people all over the globe, whether it be Russia or Ukraine, whether it be Syrians, whether it be Saudi Arabian women, anywhere on the globe, reaching out to give people a chance to... to to control their own future, it's always a good thing. And I think anytime we see the gunning down of a political opponent, particularly someone as visionary, uh, as good a man as Boris Nemtsov, I'm really glad that, that the, the Boris who called in could quote him talking about a, a hopeful Russian future. Because like my caller, I never want to give up on the idea that one day all men and women shall be free, free economically, free politically, free to be who they are. And after all, isn't that what we want? 